Welcome everybody to my podcast, Big Little Small Talk. I'm Megan O'Hara-Sullivan and I love to talk, but I also love to listen. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome listeners, you're on Big Little Small Talk, that conversation show where we get to hear all about someone really interesting in the Toowoomba Region local government area. Now, I have someone, his name is Rory Hammersley Mather, but we just call him Rory H. Mather. Welcome to Big Little Small Talk, Rory. Thank you, Megan. Happy to be here. Yeah, now look, I um, I want to start on a slightly sombre somber note because today is the 11th of September. Uh, 9-11 and that happened in 2001 and that was 22 years ago. So where were you 22 years ago? Can you remember 9-11 at all? I do. Um, I was in a very remote island in the Canary Islands um, and uh, we didn't have um, very good TV reception or radio reception but um, I wasn't living on a sailboat. My parents um, and I and my sister um, lived on a sailboat for four years when I was a kid and um, we got a call from another boat saying something terrible had happened and to turn on the TV and we had a, a uh, antenna that you could hold up and hopefully get a signal and um, we're, in Spanish we were hearing and seeing horrible um, images of the World Trade Center falling down so yeah very um, very iconic memory for me. Do you um, as a child did that did you were you frightened at all? No actually I think I don't think I fully grasped what um, the significance of it was at the time, um, but uh, no, I definitely, uh, I recognised that it was a big event, but didn't recognise its significance um, geopolitically and um, and, the, and, the, and the loss of life also was terrible, but um, almost too, too much, too many lives were lost to, for a small boy of uh, 11 to compute, so yeah. Yes, well 3,000 lives were lost and, and we remember the people in Morocco where 2,000 lives have been lost today so far, which is very sad. But Rory, you are a children's book author and writer and illustrator. No, not, not an illustrator. Can't, can't okay, we'll, we'll get to illustrator in a minute. But I guess um, just from what you've said there that about living on a boat, tell me about as a child living on a boat for four years and what your parents... Um, do you think that that kind of has stimulated your imagination? Um, yeah, I, I guess it probably has. I so I moved onto the boat when I was um, nine and a half years old, and, and moved off um, when I was about thirteen and a half. And um, it it really exposed me to other cultures, and um, to and it gave me a, a, a broader worldview than I would ever have gotten if I'd stayed in Australia. Um, but also probably gave me a greater appreciation for. Um, how lucky we are to be living here in Australia, and um, how lucky we are to live in in Toowoomba, as a, the beautiful city that it is. And um, I know, like growing up, so after that, coming um, back to um, originally, I was I was I grew up before that at uh, Beachmere near Caboolture, and we moved to Toowoomba because that's where my um, extended family were. And I know a lot of people when they finish high school in Toowoomba seek to move away and um, see the big cities and whatnot. But for me, I. I'd spent um, time in some of the biggest cities in the world and I could just appreciate how beautiful Toowoomba was as a result, I think, and it just made me want to spend my time here. Mm. But in terms of stimulating you to become a children's author, do you think that played a, a role in it? Spending um, a lot of isolated time on a boat? Not as big a role as you'd think. I I wasn't actually much of a reader um, for most of those years. I 
only really got reading shortly after 9-11 actually um I, I I got reading um because of the Harry Potter books um like a lot of people my age but um a friend of ours um sat me down and um was horrified that I didn't enjoy reading books and decided to rectify the situation and we I already owned a couple of the Harry Potter books and they bought me the rest that were out at the time they weren't all out back then um and sat down with me one day and said all right I'll read a page you read a page and we did that till my confidence grew. So I guess um, from that perspective, like I don't know where, because like, books were always in my household. Um, I remember distinctly when I was a little kid, my parents reading to me. We had a big wooden bookshelf my dad built, um, and uh, I remember all the books. But I just wasn't into it, and I don't know whether without that experience of a lady from Florida um, reading to me every day for a month, um, or reading with me every day for a month, whether I would have grown to love books the way I do now. Mm, and that's what you attribute to. Can we just go back to your parents? Because I'm probably closer to your parents' age than I am to your well, age. You're, and you're, I, you're younger than they are, actually. Well, I want to know about a family that picks up their kids, their two kids, and goes and lives on a boat. Like, tell me about that. Um, well, it always been my parents' passion, particularly my dad's passion. And um, he is a boy from um, rural New South Wales, and he moved to Sydney when he was a teenager. And that was when he, well, actually he was born in Sydney, but he moved away from Sydney when he was very small and doesn't remember ever seeing the sea till he was 13 years old. Um, and then um, in his 20s, he bought his first boat. And um, I think it was a, sort of a passion from there. He did a few um, Sydney, Sydney, not Sydney, Hobart, parts, um, Brisbane to Gladstone races and uh, a few other races and really just fell in love with sailing. And back in that era, it was um, like using a sextant and using your compass and doing your own navigation, doing all your mathematics to work out your location. There was no GPSs. They um, are old. They're they are really old. old. Yeah, well, they're basically <laughs> Captain Cook and... Yeah. yeah. Well, so there's actually the same methodology that Captain Cook would have used. So, um, And I think... Um, so they went set up to sail around the world in the 70s and got as far as Mackay before they ran their money. And um, then they just decided that they wanted to do it. And my dad got um, very bad cancer when I was about one years old um, and was forced to retire and... But in the intervening years, they'd saved up a bit of money, and the time was now. So he he built the boat that we sailed on. Um, he had a built a boat at that stage that he also built. So he sold that. Um, didn't think it was the right one for circumnavigating. Um, so sold that. Um, we sold our house. But before we did that, he built the boat we moved on to, Vamp. And um, yeah, we set sail. It was just uh, I think I think part of it was that um, the near-death experience that he had because he um, was, um, wasn't was expected to survive that and um, was pretty severely scarred as, as a result of it. Um, made him want to, you know, there was no time like the present to pursue your dreams. Wow, what an incredible story. And for you and your sister, like how long would you spend without seeing other people? Not terribly long times. Like the, the longest um, time we spent on the ocean, the open ocean, would have been, I think it was 22 days. Um, but the boat was small in comparison to a, ha- a house, but big in comparison to other boats, I guess you'd say. So there's a, you think um, from sitting here in this little room in Toowoomba, you think there's not many people doing this, but there are hundreds of people doing this and probably thousands. And um, there were definitely other kids on other boats that we'd see from time to time. And um, so yeah, we're always seeing people, mostly adults though. So I guess I was exposed to um, conversation with adults from a very young age too. Mm. Was life on the boat um, a bit like being in a caravan? You know, you pull up and all they talk about is, oh, where do you get the cheap um, cheese from? Where do you get the cheap... <laughs> a bit like that from time to time, yeah. yeah. Um, 
one thing that you discover when you um, travel a lot overseas and like you're living in these countries for brief periods, but you're living there, is that um, we're sort of sport for um, for options in Australia. Like I remember, um, not even in a third world country, I remember being in um, South Africa at one point. Um, and this was when I was an um, adult in my early 20s. My parents had um, set sail again um, and I went and visited them and I, I wanted to make them um, a cannelloni and I wanted to buy ricotta. And you couldn't buy ricotta in South Africa. So it's just sport for choice. Like most of the world doesn't have fresh milk. They're living on long life milk or um, or milk that they're getting. If it's fresh, it's because you own that cow and that's your milk. So, yeah. So you, I gather um, that your mother was happy enough to go on the boat. Was it a mutual thing, a mutual love? And there's yeah. always that, you know, when you're coming into um, into the marinas and, you know, there's all these other boats and the wind's blowing and you're in danger of crashing into the other one and all of that. Was she a sort of a good, um, you know, right-hand person? Yeah, I think so. I think she, um, Dad always said to her, um, like every birthday, like, we, you know, we spent our first Christmas overseas was in India. And he said, you know what? India is famous for its uh, its gold jewelry and silver jewelry. I will get you as much as you want, and it's fairly cheap, so you can do that without breaking the bank account. And um, so I think she benefited from those sort of things. And um, I think she also just enjoyed um, all the different countries and um, different cultures too. So I read somewhere that you've been on every continent in the world except Antarctica. Is that right? Yeah. Is this is this where you did a big reveal that you're sending me to Antarctica or no? Yes. Yes. Well. If I'm sending you to Antarctica, I'm coming with you because um, that is one place that I would really love to go to. So let's talk about then how you got a hyphenated name because there's someone called Megan O'Hara Sullivan. It is the bane of my existence to have that stupid name. Have you always had a hyphenated name? I have. So um, it's a bit of a uh, historical name. And my dad, my, my, both my parents and my wife um, and my sister also don't really like it. Um, it's my... my um, grandfather was um, born in India um, in the days of the British Raj and um, and his father had um, moved out to India and had a tribe of kids with his first wife who sadly passed away um, as a lot of people did back then from something, I don't actually know what but a disease of some sort at a fairly young age, young enough that he went back to England, remarried in the time that his kids were away at boarding school and he brought his new wife out who was a Hemsley and um, and the I guess maybe to separate which kids were just the Mathers and which kids were the Hamilton Mathers, they the the ones born afterwards were Hamilton Mathers, and there was quite a tribe of them. But um, again, not all of them lived to adulthood as it was as was um thing back then. But um, yeah, so it's a few generations. But um, it's it's something I quite like. I think it's um I think it sounds distinguished. It's a terrible um name to have to type on or write onto a form, and um. My wife and I recently had a baby girl and um, we put in for the Medicaid card and she had to get her own Medicaid card because it's too long to have on the um, on another card with another <laughs> name, but yeah. It's a, it's a sweet story. So let's get on to the reason why you're here, Rory. You've written, how many how many children's books have you written? Written, I'd say a couple of hundred. Um, published, um, I just found out today actually that my um, 12th book will come out in 2025. Congratulations! So. Do we have a title? Uh, we or is do. that under we, we do, wraps? We, is it? we do, but it's 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 a one that I'm it's one that I'm amazed no one's ever stolen before. So I'm not going to say in case someone can beat me to the punch. It's 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 all yours. We don't want it. Now I, I looked up some of the books that you have written. Was Rory the Lion the very first book that you wrote? 
Um, no, the very first book that I wrote was one called Handsome Gretel Zombie Siblings. So it's a bit of a darker tale, a bit of a fractured fairy tale. It's a genre. And um, the Royal Wine was up there, though. It was probably like maybe the fifth or sixth book I wrote, but it's one that um, took years to get right. So um, and I didn't I didn't call it Royal the Lion because of um, my name. I call it Royal the Lion because lions roar and it's about a lion that can't roar to start with and has a good character arc. It's a great story. You should definitely buy it. <laughs> I will. Well, when I hear that there's 200, I think I might have to start saving up. So... I, I, I'm sorry if I'm going to ask you lots of questions that you've already been asked before, but of course, for someone like me, I want to know about um, the process. When, how do you come up with new ideas? And do they just sort of, is it like people talking about writing music? Like it sort of just comes to you and you almost have to get it out, like you're a vessel that just it's writes exactly it like down. That. It's exactly like that. So sometimes um, an idea takes a fair while to form. Other times, um, they just pop in your head and the story's fully there. Um, one of my more recent ideas was, um, well, I won't say what it was because it's not, it hasn't been um, picked up by a publisher, but it came to me as I was about to step into the shower. I wasn't thinking about anything um, except this one phrase just popped in my head. I was like, I could base a story off that one phrase. And then I had my shower, got out, text myself that phrase, and then couldn't rest until I'd written that story and it came um, very organically sometimes it's like pulling teeth and you know that's an idea that's not worth pursuing um, but other times the story just flows naturally and um, on a good day a story can come out in half an hour on a bad day it can take um, eight months and ha- tell me then um, are you sort of how do you go from being a how old were you when you when you wrote your first book I wrote my first story when I was 25, and my first book came out when I was um, 30. Okay. So tell me about that intervening process. What do you have to do? Like, how do you sort of slap yourself around, trying to get an agent, I would imagine, and someone to publish? How does that all work? Yeah, so there's two options really for you. Um, You can self-publish, and a lot of people, as they saw me... um, try for years to get published traditionally um be like why don't you self-publish but for me i i just wanted to be self-published I, I wanted to be traditionally published it was that was the goal and it wouldn't have felt like i'd achieved my dream without doing that um so basically it's like anything you want to be good at you just practice but also it's doing a little bit of research so I, and for you, it took me so long partly because i didn't do the research for two years so i um i wrote my first story um one day in i think february 2016 and um and then immediately that night sent off to a publisher without any hesitation, without thinking, I've just written the best thing since sliced bread. This is going to be the next bestseller. Um, and I heard nothing back, which is um, quite common, but I also probably deserved to hear nothing back because I hadn't done my homework. Like, I didn't really know whether that publisher was the right publisher for that story. Um, little things like how you structure a picture book. So like a picture book, um, for example, is structured... Um, it's broken up into spreads, which is a combination of two pages, and um, there's either 24 or 32 pages per book. More commonly these days is 24 because it's cheaper to print. But um, yeah, like I was just writing and wherever the story ended, but that was where the story ended. And I just assumed the publisher would be like, yep, that sounds like a great story. But um, that's not the way to do it. And I didn't discover that till I, there's um, conferences and stuff that you can go to. Like I went to a, there's a conference in Brisbane called the CYA conference. Um, and it's specifically targeting um, people who write for kids and, and young adults. It's on every July, and sometimes it's of late. It's been on online as well as in person. And I went to there 
went there in 2017, I paid to have a sit down session with a agent um, who immediately pointed out my flaw. This this story only ends at like about page 15. And I was like, oh, that's good to know. And then I, so I didn't go back for two years. I In that two years, I um, read a bunch of books on writing picture books for kids and also worked on my, my rhyme because um, not all picture books have to rhyme, but um, I was always trying to rhyme and um, I'm better at rhyme even before I was good than I was at writing in prose. So I worked on that. And uh, in 2019, I set my goal of going back to that conference and getting an agent. And so I had, I did my homework. I found an agent who I thought I had a shot with. I saw that she was speaking at the State Library um, in, in about March that year. Went down to that, saw what she spoke about, what she was looking for. And I just booked her in and was keen to get signed by her. And as it turned out, she did sign me. And um, that's what got me my first, well, actually, that, that's what got me my first uh, book signing with a, one of the bigger publishers. Um, she encouraged me to send one of my manuscripts to one of the small, newer publishers at the time, Larrikin House. So my first book was Vlad's Bad Breath, um, which is sort of a self-explanatory title to an extent. <laughs> um, but my first big book, um, well, my first book with a um, big publisher was Easter Catastrophe um, with Scholastic Australia. and. Most of my books since then have been with Classic Australia, um, and yeah, so you need an agent to ha- to get to them. You can't. There's no email address on their website. You can just um, submit to. Um, so you either need an agent or to go to a conference and sit, meet one of their editors face to face. Or um, there's a thing called literary speed dating, where you get three minutes to pitch an idea to a publisher or a panel of publishers. I've never done that. I'd be, I think I'd be too nervous. Um, but you need to find um, a way to get in front of the people who. You, you've done the research to, to know that your style is what they're looking for. And for me, um, I was in critique groups with people and they'd always say, your style is very scholastic, it's very humorous and um, commercial. And a lot of Australian publishers focus, um, they always, there was always gonna be some commercial titles on their list, but a lot of those titles will go to celebrity authors, whereas a lot of their um, titles are more literary and they um, I don't really write anything that's super literary um, so the CBCA books are the ones that are more literary and hope to, I hope to one day um, get a CBCA book of the year but um, it's still a goal at this stage well I was going to ask you about um, uh, about your sort of you know where you'd where you'd love to be apart from on the honor board at um, St Mary's your old school but I'll just remind the listeners first that you're with me Megan O'Hara Sullivan and we're on Big Little Small Talk and we're talking to children's book writer Rory H. Mather. Rory, I've read somewhere whether you described yourself as a big kid with a beard, yeah? And um, you're talking about um, serious books, serious children's books. Is that the right terminology? Yeah. And what, I, did, you, what did you call your style? More um, Probably more whimsical, um, more, I guess humorous um, with a little bit of commercialism um, to them because they're like a lot of my books a lot of my first few books were um, targeting particular um, events so like Easter catastrophe targeting Easter and um, my second book was classic was Get Back in Your Books which is a story um, about book week essentially but um, not directly stated but yeah mm. um, I was going to ask you about that because I was out at the Drayton School State School the other day judging for book week and um, some colouring in and some writing and they had a scholastic display there and I was thinking how incredible like if you were with that 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 publisher your books get then displayed at all these schools and so it makes a real difference does it it be, does yeah. definitely like um scholastic's not in publishing there's um 
what's called uh, the Big Five, and they're the Big Five publishers of the world. Um, and they're like Scholastic is an international company too, but um, I'm published by Scholastic Australia, so it's just a branch of the, the bigger company. And they're actually not part of the Big Five, but they're the biggest children's publisher in Australia. And that's because of, as you say, they, they have the um, the um, school catalogs, and so they're getting into the schools. They when when not you don't have to be published by Scholastic to get into the school catalog, but you have to be. Um, you have to meet a certain framework. So like, I've got a friend who's just published a book with Alan Unwin, um, and it's a very commercial title. It's called, um, oh, I've had it complete. It's called Jawson, um, which is, it's a story about um, some rock and roll sharks. They're, they're, um, they're, by day, they're just regular sharks that go to school. By night, they're rock stars. Um, and so it's very funny, very, um, a very good read. Um, I recommend it completely. Um, but it's made it into the um, Scholastic School Catalogue because it's very commercial. Right. And h- how many pages did you say again? Children's books have to be picture, 24? Picture yeah. books have to be 24 um, or 32 or 40. So it works out, basically, the reason why they're um, so didactic is because um, when they're printed, and this is something that the average author at home doesn't think about, um, when they're printed, they're printed on one big piece of paper that gets sliced by a machine and diced and, and that the way it um, cuts it is it has to be a certain number of pages and that's just what those are so p- traditionally picture books were um, 32 or um, I know I, I went to WordFest uh, I, I said I was on a panel at WordFest in uh, two years ago now I think it was or maybe it was last year actually and uh, we had an author there who'd been published since the 80s and he was saying picture books are 64 pages long and obviously it's just changed over the years because like everything, um, cost of living and cost of everything has gone up. And for publishers, uh, it's not a huge profit margin in books. So, twenty four is the new, the new sixty four. And <laughs> isn't that amazing? That's yeah. incredible. I I never knew that before. You know what you were saying before about um, what you mostly write about. Are you mostly? Um, is there like a, uh, you know, is it a comical character or is it a? like a moral or not a moral but a you know a lesson or um generally i just aim to be comical because i i my background is i used to work in public libraries and i used to um read um picture books to kids and i found that the, at that stage that was in about yeah 2015 2016 and i discovered that um the books that the kids enjoyed the most were the funny ones and not that they there's definitely time for serious books um, but I think that's probably more when there's a, like you know if a kid's getting bullied you might read a, a story about emotions and, and dealing with bullies and stuff at home in a, in a more um, in a space where they feel completely comfortable whereas when you're reading to a group of like 20 kids humour is the best one because if one kid laughs probably multiple kids will laugh so um, for me I, I at that stage Aaron Blaby who's probably the biggest um, picture book author in Australia and one of the biggest in the world um He's an Australian author, and his um, big series, Pig the Pug, the first book had just come out in 2014, and um, he was starting to make waves, and I was inspired by um, by his work to... I was like, this is what I, I found that I enjoyed it too. I think a good picture book will um, have something for the adults too um, when you're reading it. But, yeah, I think there is, there's definitely a time for important messages like my next book that comes out is um, called My Little Star and it's a story I wrote about about loss because my wife and I have um, had multiple um, miscarriages and last year we had a stillbirth and so I wanted to write a story um, that captured the emotions it's written because picture books have to be for kids 
um, even if there's an element that the adult relates to or enjoys. It's written from the perspective of um, a kid to a sibling, uh, but for me, I wrote it for myself when I was in the grieving process, and um, I think that book will hopefully resonate with um, people who've lost children, and but also with um, um, kids who've got siblings who've, who've lost too. So. Mm, so there's a lot in there one of my questions for you Rory and it's probably about the right time to ask it is um, A has a book ever made you cry and then well I'll get you to I'll get you to answer that one first off apart from My Little Star I think um, um, My Little Star um, actually I haven't cried since I've because I've only got it in um, in actual book format uh, in the last month or so and I didn't cry when I read it um I was more overjoyed that I had the ability to, I was in a position to see this um, book, which meant so much to me and my wife um, come to fruition. But um, I cried when I read it at my um, daughter's funeral. But um, apart from that, no, I've never actually cried from a book. But what a lovely, I believe your little baby was called Evie, is that correct? Evie, yeah. What a lovely, you know, thing to have and hold in your hand to remember her life. By. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And um, it's really sweet. Um, Scholastic, who published the book, um, have like when when we do a post about it, they um do the, use the hashtag e- Evie's legacy, and that means a lot too. Because I didn't ask them to do that; they just did that of their own accord. And, and I do feel like it is her legacy. Hopefully, it's um one that will help others. And yeah, mm. it's it's not lovely. Mm. So then, the second part of that question is: Do you think someone can be a good writer if they don't feel emotions strongly? That's a tough one. Um, I guess for me. Or maybe you just have to like fart jokes or something if you're a children's author. Well, no, well, people definitely fart jokes are popular with kids, <laughs> but um, I think I think you have to enjoy what you're doing, whether it's um, so. I think it'd be very hard to um, to write if you didn't enjoy writing because it, it again it'd be like pulling teeth. But for me, I I I enjoy writing myself. Like I do it for me, and it's just a great um, little side thing that it it also. Um, works and it sells my books sell but um if i if i ever stop enjoying it i'll stop doing it and i'll find something else that i won't pursue mm. but it must just be such a a joyous thing to love something so much and to just almost feel compelled to to go and do it like an addiction i would imagine and to see them you've got a pile here in front of us i think there's about i don't know maybe six or eight books here of just books that you've had published I mean what an amazing thing to have it is um it's really for me I always wrote before before writing picture books I did always write um, I used to want to be a rapper back in my early 20s um I never pursued it because I knew I wasn't good at rapping um but I always wrote poetry and like my mum always used to request a um a poem for Mother's Day or her birthday as it was her right and for me when I got that job working public libraries and was re-exposed to picture books and as I say, I wasn't much of a reader when I was a little kid, so I kind of I do remember being read picture books at like the school library, but they never really gripped me. And um, so when I reread those, when I reread picture books and rediscovered them as an adult, I was like, wow, this is the format that I love. And it, for me, it's it really is that it's the format. So a lot of, one question I get asked quite frequently is, will I ever write a chapter book? And I hope to one day do it, but for me, it's going to take me finding book that really inspires me and gives me that passion at the moment it's just picture books and I, I think maybe um, when my daughter Ada is a bit older and she's reading chapter books I'm hoping that that exposure to them um, will be what I need to branch out into that 
it'll be you doing your research that'll be yeah, <laughs> reading them exactly. later so how important is it to find does does the same person always illustrate your books uh no generally not so do you look for the illustrator or does that the publisher do that publisher does so if you're if and this is a very common mistake that people who want to be traditionally published um do if they haven't done any research so a lot of people will write a manuscript and, and then they'll be like oh my my mate knows someone who's quite good at art and they might be um and they'll get that they'll pay that person um to do the illustrations and that person might do a decent job but a publisher wants to have that say of whether like they want to say all right we, we want this person to illustrate because we want this particular style and um generally it's someone that they've worked with previously so they um know that they'll their style will sell and it's, it's a business i guess and so yeah um I don't. What happens generally is I'll get an email from my um, publisher saying, "Here's a um, a rough sketch of a character, for example, and we think this would be perfect for your story. What do you think?" And it's uh, they are asking, and if you really feel strongly, you could say no, but it's a polite um, question where really this is who we think would be best. And to be fair they're the people who are in the industry of making books so you kind of have to trust their judgment with that regard so when you see those illustrations has have you ever thought no that's not that's not what i had in my head at all um not for a finished product i did once say no the way uh publisher so a publisher was we were still looking for an illustrator and they suggested someone uh basically what happened was they had a book that they'd been working with this one illustrator and it just didn't work out for that reason. They didn't tell me it wasn't my business, um, but they were determined to have like to still have a um, relationship with this uh, illustrator. So they wanted to see whether I'd be keen for them on my work. And they they're a great illustrator, but they the style was completely different to what I had in my head. And I don't generally actually have much of an idea in my head, but because it was I actually did with this one, I was like, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Like I said, actually the way I worded it was, if you um, if you feel strongly about it, I'm happy to go along with it, but I would rather someone else. And did they cave? Yeah, they straight away said, "Oh yeah, of course, no worries." And um, and uh, but yeah, and and that book's coming out now in um, in early next year in twenty twenty four, and it did mean that the process took about eighteen months longer than it, um, would have if I said yes to that one person. But I think we made the right decision. Oh great! And I suppose it's just tr- trusting your judgment after a while, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I'll just remind the listeners that they're on 4DDB and you're with me, Megan O'Hara-Sullivan. We're on Big Little Small Talk and we're talking to children's book writer Rory H. Mather who has written a total of... Nine? No. Nine nine that are out or can be pre-ordered. Pre-ordered. Do they keep going in perpetuity? Like, do they... Are they always available? I hope so. If I become a bestseller, potentially. But, um, no, I think... Generally, so a publisher will do a print run, and that varies depending on the publisher. But, um, for example, my first few books um, were, I said, Larrikin House, and their print runs were about 3,000 copies, um, and most of them have sold now. So I've got a stack of them in my garage, which, because I, and to an extent, I had I started with a stack that I was, you know, um, going to schools and selling them and stuff, but um, at a certain point, I just want to keep a small stack that I can just have in perpetuity, um, for my kids and my grandkids and my grandkids' grandkids because um, I'd like to think they'll be around for a long time. Exactly. Rory, how big a um, sort of drag or joy is 
marketing yourself like what do you have to do like social media or go around to fest- are there children's book festivals like there's writers festivals um there are but most of them are targeting uh the the aspiring author so there's a few festivals um like somerset rise festival which is one on the gold coast every year which is a is targeting kids and it's at school our school um but most of them are targeting aspiring writers so Marketing, I, I, I kind of enjoy it to be honest, but it does take up a lot of your time. So, I, my wife will tell you that I spend far too much time on Instagram and Facebook, and she's absolutely right because I, I know it. Like I, I know when I'm not being quite fair and um, uh, not giving enough of my time to my family. But it's one of those catch me twos where you have to be putting yourself out there, and you have to be, um, seen to be putting yourself out there to get the publisher to invest in you too. Like I recently did a trip to Sydney um, where I did a book launch for my two latest books. And um, like publishers always say, book launches don't sell books, but Instagram and Facebook kind of do to an extent. So whilst the book launch, the book launch was a success, it had a good crowd and we sold a fair few books, but really it's more the, all the pictures I got taken at those events um, that I can then post along. That. And it's the, kind of it's also you it looks like I was successful it, so like it was successful but like it looks probably looks more successful than, than I am because I had a room packed full of people um, who were there for my book but um, they're all all other aspiring authors so it wasn't randoms uh, it was randoms that you know I hadn't met most of them before but it wasn't um, people off the street um, coming in like oh Rory so. Who are you? That's right. Well, you know, I, I always like to have a good stalk of someone's Facebook page before I interview them. And I can attest to yours going back to 2007. And you had 1,772 pictures on there. So it took me a, quite a good stalking. Um, I think Facebook was only invented somewhere around then. So you are a child of that generation. And, um, and <laughs> your whole life is there documented on Facebook. It, with things like... Um, going to literary festivals you said that they they don't sell books like with writers festivals they often have a children's program and have you ever done that sort of thing read your books at those um i've done a lot of school visits so actually i have but less so at a um a big festival so um last year i went to um up to gimpy was uh i forget what shire gimpy's in but um that shire council had put on a a rise event it was across a few days and it was kind of like WordFest and it was multiple events all around the place and one of the things they were doing was um, getting a bunch of authors um, we didn't see each other but we were in the, the library was driving us all around and going to different schools and so we went to multiple schools and um, spoke to a couple hundred kids um, but not so much in a um, concentrated group so mm. that is definitely a goal but yeah so then how does that translate into book sales like and can you track that do the those kids then go home and hopefully say to their parents hey you know can you buy me this book or hopefully um it's hard with like with my first with my first publisher i could sell the books directly but that is also a lot of work bugging um like you know you put all the forms together yourself and and lug a couple hundred books or hopefully a couple hundred books um to a school somewhere in some far distant place but um with Scholastic, with Book Club, you'd be undercutting the book club. So, and I can't, I can't um, get enough profit margin really to justify it with Scholastic books. Mm. So I don't, you know, we not, they say don't do it, and I, I don't do it. So it's more that, yeah, I hope that uh, 
the people, the kids will go home and be like, oh, we saw this guy at the school and he was really good. And, oh, look, his books are also in the classic catalog and they'll order it from there. Mm. And obviously, like, they're online and the big W, when they're, when they're fresh out, they're all in big W and Target and whatnot. So, so they are being sold in um, big chain stores like that, not just bookshops? Yeah. And there are, the bookshops would obviously prefer, and I would prefer to because bookshops um, sell them for slightly more than um, big W and Target. Uh, and obviously, we want to support small businesses, but... Um, I guess at the end of the day, it's probably best that a family um, have a, just have a book rather than if if you if the option is buy the book for ten dollars at Target or Big W or don't buy a book, buy the book at Big yeah, W or Target. Kids have a book. Do you remember the books that you loved? I think you mentioned some before um, that you loved. You said you didn't really read, but what about your parents reading to you? Do you remember the Big Ball of String or anything um, like that? I remember a book. I don't remember the title at all, and I've tried to track it down to work out what it was. But I remember being in grade two because I was a, I was um, like I was a kid who was in, um, special learning difficulty classes because I was real I was wasn't bright and was they wanted to keep me back in grade one. My parents said no, nope. um, he should go move on to grade two, and um, the school I was at really supported me and they had me like took me on my regular classes and had me, um, doing special classes. And I remember reading a book. All I remember was mum. I'm thinking back with mum reading this book about a fat cat. It wasn't a picture book; it was a, like a um, chapter book. But I just remember this book about this fat cat, and I, I can't work out. I remember it was like a ginger cat. But that's about all. I don't remember the story. Just it was a fat cat, and and your parents can't remember it either. No, so it'll no doubt some librarian, hopefully some librarian listening to you will know exactly what I'm talking about. This would be 1997 for context, um, and. I often thought maybe it was um, Lee Hobbs has a book about a fat cat, but I don't think it was his books. Maybe so. one day you'll come across it and you'll yeah. you'll see it and just um, remember. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's an incredible story, isn't it? Um, so um, I've, I've read a couple of other things about you, Rory. You said um, you said you've got a lisp, and that makes saying your name, Rory Hammersley Mather, very difficult. Is that correct? Yeah, particularly the Rory part, having two R's in the. In the, in, like it's literally half the name, so <laughs> I've gotten better over the years. But I, like, I remember doing speech pathology in um, grade one, and back then I think I've got French with speech pathologist now, and I think the the science has really improved a lot since nineteen ninety six because they had me um, picking up hundreds and thousands of a plate with my tongue, um, which was just to improve my tongue strength. I think it was because my tongue protrudes past my teeth, and that's what causes the lisp. Um, I don't know how much uh, success that was, but um, I think the more public speaking I do actually probably improves my um, lisp the most, but every now and then I always get nervous and it becomes really pronounced and there's nothing you can do in that situation. Mm. And I don't know, does it need to be improved? Why? Well, I guess it doesn't. I'm too far gone now, but um, I actually remember, so I, I did speech pathology in grade one and then promptly forgot about it and then so I moved on the boat um, part way through grade four and then came to St Mary's um, in grade nine and I remember being in line for a maths class and someone being like you've got a lisp I'm like no I don't because I because no one had mentioned it in the intervening years and I I didn't hear it myself it's so much harder to hear it yourself I hear it more in recordings than I do um, day to day so yeah it's it's something I hadn't picked up on and I was like oh I do maybe I do what about your love of potatoes? Tell me about that. Oh, I think that comes from my dad. So my dad's um, heritage is Irish descent, and um, 
he doesn't think it's a meal unless there's a spud involved. So, I and I must admit, I, I tend to agree. I I, I ordered um, a Musselman um, curry recently, and instead of potato, there was carrots, and they didn't mention that until well, it came out, and there was just carrots, no potato, and I was I can't emphasise how disappointed I was in that moment. <laughs> Take this back. There's no potatoes in my Musselman curry. <laughs> yeah. Are you at the stage in your career, Rory, where you can give up your day job, essentially? Not a chance. So <laughs> um, my books are definitely selling well. Um, my publishers are very happy with me. Um, but uh, no, really to be, to be able to do that, you have to have be selling millions of copies. Because the author... So for books, retails for $10, I'll get... Um, I'll get 5% of that, so I'll get 50 cents. I think my math, my math is correct there, I think. Um, so, yeah, you have to sell a lot of books to really make a living off it. And even then, like, um, a book doesn't stay out forever, so um, there's obviously every month there's hundreds of new books coming out in Australia, um, around the world. And Australia, particularly as a market, we import a lot of our books from overseas. So there's only limited space, even at the most supportive bookshop in the world. So your books can't... Um, I, you're not going to sit there forever. So really, it really relies on having a bestseller. And I'm hoping that will happen. I'm, I'm hoping that um, next year I've got a book coming out, which is hopefully going to be um, a game changer for me. But we'll see. It has to all happen. And the stars have to align and have to be holding your fingers in the correct position. and Holding that aerial up where you yeah. can get the, um, get the best reception. What about... Um, you know, have you got a moment that so far in your career where you got some money from a royalty check or something and you just then I'm going to, you know, this is the money that you earned from writing books? Um, the first bit of money I ever earned from writing books was when I came third in the competition and I won $100. Um, but, uh, no, I tried to, I, my, my wife's um, got an accounting degree, so she's very, and she manages out all our finances, so she would be strongly against us going and spending all the money. But definitely, I think, whilst I can't retire on the money and whilst I have to keep working full-time, um, it's definitely supplements my income. Like, um, one thing that I think a lot of people don't realise is that you don't just an author doesn't just make money from the books you buy. We also make money from the books that are in public libraries and in school libraries. So the government has um, a, a fund that's um, targeted towards artists and the arts. And so it's called ELR, Education Lending Rights, and Public Lending Rights, PLR. And so every year, um, the the government can, through their databases, can track how many books are um, in your in your school libraries and your public libraries, and they sort of treat it as if those are books that we've taken out of the market, and we will reimburse you for what you potentially would have made if they'd been in the market. And so that's that's a um, a good little fun. Like it this year, um, my first year. It works out that you, you have to register your book and it um, takes have to be out for a few years before you get paid anything for them. Um, but my first year I earned, I think, $700 and my last year I earned close to $5,000. So it was nice. Yeah, I was like, woo! And the trend is yeah, your friend, Rory. We're, we're tracking it's going good. In so the, it's going. I think that really, i got a friend in the UK and obviously it's a much bigger market, but I um, he's also just an author, not an author illustrator. I think if you're an author illustrator, you've got a much better chance because um, you're getting 10% of the of the royalty rather than just five percent and you get a higher advance because it costs takes a lot more time to do the illustrations but um i got a friend in the uk and i said to him oh how do you afford to 
um, do this full time, particularly in the UK because it's so expensive to live there. And he said, oh, my, my ELR PLR is, is great. And to be honest, he did have um, the fifth highest most borrowed book in the UK last year. So he's probably doing pretty well. But um, yeah, I, I think it's still, it's a, I think it's a dream for most of us, but it's a dream that will probably stay a dream. But you got to have the dream anyway. Mm. Have you ever had that moment like, um, say, where you've gone over, not to a friend's house, but someone that you didn't know and there was your book there or something like that, a weird moment like that? Yeah, I've had moments like that or, or moments where you get recognised. Like, I mean, not, it's a very small market, and like, but I do splash my face over social media a bit. I had a moment, it was quite funny because um, it was completely, for a moment I felt like, oh my goodness, you're famous. And then context came into play and I realised what was. My wife's originally from Stanthorpe and... um one point last year we popped into Stanthorpe and went to a, a local cafe and the lady who served me was like you're Rory H. Mather and I was like yes I am Rory H. Mather but turned out context wise um, she did know who I was but she knew me because my she followed my wife's sister on Instagram and my wife's sister's posted a few things about me and I think she follows me too but um, yeah it wasn't as it wasn't a complete stranger on the street I'd take that Rory if I were you Thank you. Yeah, I yeah. I, I often tell the story about saying, how did I know someone? And I kept saying to her, I know you, I know you. And after a while she said to me, look, I'm going to tell you something. I don't think you're going to like it. And I said, what? I, I could know you. And she said, I work at Dan Murphy's, okay? So that was how I knew her from going into Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so I should have stopped while I was ahead. Um, Rory, we're running out of time, of course, as I always do. I'm fascinated by your story. But um, this might be a good question for you. If you were a circus character, which one would you be? I thought long and hard about this question when you sent it to me this morning. And I'd like to say the strong man, <laughs> but I think in reality, my talents, I'd probably be more likely to be the person that runs out when they did the lights and moves the props around for the, for the um for the next act, I think it's just more likely. Why? What do you mean by that? Um, I don't know that I'd uh, do too well on the on the stage, center stage. I'd like to I'd like to be the um the main funny person, but um I think I get stage fright and the lisp would become really pronounced and yeah. How interesting! Yeah. What about um something that made you smile today, Rory? The first You've got a new daughter, I know that she probably um, yeah, gets a yeah. fair bit of love. So the first thing that made me smile this morning um, was, um, I skipped gym this morning, and I, uh, I, the first thing that made me smile was going into her room when she wakes up, and um, I flick on her light, and she realises, oh, well, she's awake, um, but she's like, oh, mum's here, or dad's here, and, and the, the smile that she gives you then is, is just so precious. Um, so that, that was the first thing that made me smile today, was the first time I saw her this morning. Um Second thing, and then probably the thing I'm smiling about this afternoon is finding out, yeah, about um, book twelve um, being offered. I haven't signed the contract even. That's how fresh it is, but um, I'm excited to see that one come out. It's a good day, nine eleven. Yeah. Good day for for Rory. Um, what about the worst pickup line you've ever heard? Oh, so you're a young person. You have had a few pickup lines. I have heard a few pickup lines, but uh, I've been married for a while now, um, and with my wife for even longer. So I asked around that. Um, with my colleagues and everyone I know, I was messaging everyone on Instagram like, "Hey, you, you're, you're still dating people. What, what's what's what, what's one you've heard?" Um, and I heard this one today, which I think is both cringy and brilliant. And it was, um, let me think about this. So this gets right. I'm going to report Spotify because you weren't on my hot singles list last week. 
and that's it. And that's it. I, I, I <laughs> poor delivery, but think of it in the context of if you're on Tinder, say, and someone messages you saying, yeah. Um, you weren't on I, ne- I need to report Spotify because I didn't see you in the hot singles list last week. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I thought I was like, oh, Pretty that's Pretty but not too bad. What about, um, in three words, I am dot, dot, Ooh, dot. Someone to watch. Someone to watch. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Now, my last two questions, Rory. If you listen to this podcast, you will um, you will know what the second last one is. It is who is your ro- most favourite royal person? They don't have to be British, and they don't have to be living. So I again thought very long and hard about this, and I went with um, Caesar Augustus, um, Octavian originally, and um, I I respect the way that Octavian got absolute power, but incrementally. So he took dismantled the Roman Republic so that it became the Roman Empire um, and had emperors for the next 400 years but he did it in such a way that no one protested or realised he'd done it until he'd done it so, right is yeah. that how you're taking over the literary world is yeah it? just one book at a time <laughs> one book at a time alright I like the um, the someone to watch Rory I definitely think you are someone to watch so thank you for that um, alright so I, I know from your Instagram and your Facebook that you you know you're a fun loving person you love to dance what's the song that can't keep you off the dance floor there's a huge list of songs that can't me off the dance floor because I can't dance I do enjoy doing it but I've decided on Low by Flo Rider featuring T-Pain it's that one that goes apple bottom jeans boop yeah anyway I'm not going to sing it because I can't <laughs> sing but. Leroy will find it for us but um, that sounds like a great song to um, to illustrate your life do you think it'd be one that would get me on dance floor at any wedding ever even if no one else is on that dance floor <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're a lone dancer well Rory it's been a joy um, hearing about your process today and how you get there I mean all we got to do listeners is just watch out for Rory H. Mather and his children's books because he is someone to watch and thank you for being my guest on Big Little Small Talk thank you so much for having me Megan thank you That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me on Big Little Small Talk. I hope you can make the time to join me next week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app.